What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Welcome back to the 1025 Podcast. This is episode three. I'm Jordan, along with Ashanti and Kristen. And in this episode, we got Kristen being our moderator. So, Kristen. Hi. All right, so today we're talking about colorism, mainly the topics of skin bleaching and light skin privilege in choosing actors. All right, so most people's skin bleach generally just to become whiter or to become the society's idea. And no one really talks about the long-term effects of it. Like you can age quicker, you can get skin cancer, and your skin becomes so thin, it becomes so sensitive to everything. Yeah. Yeah. And... Well, you you can go, Ashanti. Uh, I was about to say, damn. I was about to say, um, earlier today, you know, we was watching some videos of uh, people in Jamaica doing skin bleaching, and I just that one more time. Vibes Cartel. Yeah, him. He was talking. He. It kind of came off as like. In my eyes, people were very insecure about their natural, you know, tone of skin. I kind of connect that with, of course, racism and how, you know, the color of your skin, you are easily judged in society. But I also kind of think related to now with everything that's going on with the world, with uh, the George Floyd situation, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, a lot of people feel insecure in their own skin and feeling like, Maybe if I was another skin tone, then this stuff wouldn't be happening to me. You know what I'm saying? Maybe if I wasn't African-American and I was Caucasian, this wouldn't be happening to me. Shanti, what were you about to say? And it's even out of the realm of being an African-American. One thing I noticed is that this skin bleaching thing is international and tends to affect more people living in Africa and in the Caribbean. Because like the, the aftermath of imperialism in those places was just absolutely terrible. You know, and it was really related to skin. I know that in the video, did they use African black soap to lighten their skin too? They were using. No, nah, I don't think or was so. Because mm-hmm. some, I know in Jamaica they um they do that too. It's more of a um, I forgot exactly. It's like a, it has a different composition to it, but they tend they do use that. But of course, there's like so many skin bleaching creams and oils and stuff like that. It delicious to go on and on. Yeah, and I believe, but, yeah. sorry to cut you off, sorry to cut you off, but I believe that in the video they were using a certain type of, like, um, mixed in with hydrogen yeah. peroxide to light. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah. But one thing I have noticed is that um, whenever I do watch videos like this, they tend to focus especially on like Nigeria's skin bleaching problem because that is like the hot hub for where these products are coming from and where they're going in. And, you know, I don't really know very much about Nigerian culture, but like from what I see, I know they do this in India too, like on all the packages. Well, they do it in America and all the packages. It's just this, um, 
this kind of Eurocentric theme going. The person will still be of, you know, their nationality, but just their features are very European. So growing up and you constantly see images like that, of course, when you get old enough, or of course, when your auntie or someone offers it to you, you're going to be like, yes, I want to bleach my skin because I just don't feel good enough. And it's not just, especially in Nigeria, it's not just, and Jamaica, it's not just a female thing. It's just all around. Everybody wants to do it. Right. So, and like what Jordan was saying, people feel uncomfortable in their skin. Um, you know, not only with everything that's going on, feeling like their sable skin is just this veil over them that's keeping mm -hmm. them from really experiencing an equal way of living. But also at the same time, like people understand that they're more privileged by, you know, changing their appearance to look lighter. Mm -hmm. They understand that they, they get privileged from that. And this issue even happens in other countries like Asia. I remember yes. a few years ago, yeah, a few years ago, I was watching this commercial where I believe it was like, it was two actors, right? One actor skin was like, got very dark, very black, like, you know what I'm saying? And then another one was very pale, very, you know, white. And it was kind of an advert for this type of pill. I don't, I don't know what it's called. I think it's called snow or something where you take this and you're automatically becoming more lighter. Your pigmentation is less darker and more bright and vibrant as they, you know, market it as. And I think yeah. if that advert, if that advertisement was marketed here in America, I feel like there would be a lot of young kids looking at that and they would feel ashamed, like I said, and even Ashanti said, they would feel ashamed of being black. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody, you know, they, they chance around, you know, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm black and I'm proud. But some people are just like, why is my skin, you know, be, being the cause of all this pain and trials and tribulations that my people go through? People who look like me go through on a day to day basis for the past 400 years, you know? You know, it's just the long-term effects of imperialism, truly. I know I always talk about that, but I feel like a lot of the disparities that we face, especially of how we look, not necessarily a shame, but just, you know, wanting to not have to go through the same, you know, disparities as being a Black or ethnic person. So you look to that, you look to changing your appearance to fit in, because that's literally the first thing people see. It doesn't really matter what your background is. The first thing you are is Black. Right. You know? Yeah. All right, it doesn't even matter the content of your character. And sorry if I cut you off, Kristen. It doesn't even matter the content of your character anymore. It's just they see this and it's like they automatically think negatively of you, you know? Yeah, and about what you were saying with the advertisements, you know, it, it might not be phase four in America or as aggressive as it is in places like Africa and Asia, but it's very subliminal. I mean, we were talking about in the last episode how deeply rooted colorism is in media. When you have all TV shows that keep on showing the same black features like light skin, loose hair, mm -hmm. all that stuff. There's it's the mm -hmm. it's advertisement, it's advertisement through entertainment, right? Even with television shows, absolutely, yes, exactly. Kristen. Because yes. Nickelodeon, most Netflix shows don't really have any representation of darker skinned women and men, absolutely. Yes. I remember um, Kenya Barris, the creator of Blackish, created a new show called Black AF. And the main controversy was okay, there's not a lot of dark, there's probably no dark skinned people in that yeah. show. It's usually fair skinned or lighter skinned 
type of people. It's like, okay, in my in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, y'all do know that there's this other there there are more black people, you know, black ladies as well that aren't light skinned that don't have the loose hair, like Kristen said, you know, they have the Afro. And I'm just thinking to myself, is it because y'all don't have, y'all don't think that this face is marketable? You know what I'm, y'all get what I'm saying? Because I even think of this um, with the pop singer Normani from Fifth Harmony. You know, a lot of people market her up to being, oh, she's the next Beyonce and oh, she's the next, you know, leading force. But it's like, People saying, okay, her team trying to sabotage her. Because, like, compared to, like, Ariana Grande and Selena Gomez, it's like, okay, they being successful and stuff. Why isn't she being successful? Colorism, you know? Yeah. Which, in my eyes, colorism is, I think Kanye West said this, is racism's daughter, you know? It's like, essentially. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, it even comes from the chattel hierarchies that existed during slavery. I mean, we we hear the story of like the tragic mulatto and like all these different places to be on like like chattel hierarchy. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I yeah. feel like that is just we see it in continuous forms. I mean, we really have to get with history because all this is is just the aftermath of literally everything that's happened over the past like 200 years. And I feel like within within our own community, we have to fix it for ourselves, you know? You have to want, you have to champion for these young women to get the roles that you want to see them in. I mean, I know everyone was kind of mad, you know, that Zoe, we talked about Zoe's album, yeah. like the Zoe Valvana thing in the last. Yeah, in the first yeah. yeah, you have to champion for these people. You have to, you have to, you have to champion for the next Lupita. You have to champion so that no, for no Marnie, you, you have to do these things. Yeah. I understand it can be really intense sometimes, like Black Twitter yeah. goes deep, goes off, but yeah. it's for good reason. Children need to see positive reaffirmations of themselves. Absolutely. Like, why why can't you pass a dark skin girl with traditional features? And it doesn't even have to be traditional. Why can't we have variety? I just don't understand. Yeah. Exactly. We need to see ourselves being successful. Yeah. Exactly. Because I'm, I'm really tired of seeing movies where black people are painted as thugs and gangsters and all that give us not only give us you know positive images while also representing the dark-skinned black girl the dark-skinned black man you know and not be degrading to their character yeah. exactly yeah you know? and next we're going to talk about chadwick boseman's death and how it all, how it affected all of us. Okay. Yeah. Did you want to start, um, Kristen? Did you have any personal statements you wanted to make? Or? Um, I actually kind of want you to speak first. Okay. All right. Well, um, the first time I'd ever seen him was in a movie called Forty Two, which is about the first um, mm -hmm. African American baseball player, or like that at least went to the big leagues, mm -hmm. and that was my first um, interaction with him. And film and everything and then of course with Black Panther overall it just mm -hmm. really it really I mean 2020 has been crazy but it was just really startling to see that he was you know hiding his um, struggle with cancer but that also I also want to talk about the fact that whenever it came out people were like you, do you remember when he started to lose weight and people were in his Instagram comments like yeah. Yeah. on him for yeah. that 
And like we were saying before, celebrities deserve duality. They deserve to be able to separate their personal life from the camera. So I think that's one thing we kind of exactly. have, we kind of have to get with. Like people were just really like just not liking the fact that he was losing so much weight, but you really never know what battle someone is going through. So that's really toxic. That's toxic to me. I understand, like I said before, we're so used to seeing things 24-7 and people wanted an explanation for why he was losing more weight. Maybe it was for a role, maybe it was for this or that. But no, he chose to keep his personal life separate. And I mean that that's pretty much all. Yeah. And I, I think he deserved to be able to have that, keeping things separate. Yeah. But yeah, overall, it was just really, it was truly devastating. Yeah. What were you going to say, Jordan? I would say, similar to you, I first knew of Chadwick Boseman in 42 when he played Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And, and yeah. then again, once again, when he played James Brown and Get On Up. And I was thinking to myself, yeah. okay, okay, this guy really, he, ha- he has so much, not only charisma and stage presence, he really is, I feel like he could have been the next iteration of a leading man, black man in entertainment, in film. Because in my, well, when I was growing up, the only two leading black men, like who were like in action moves and stuff was like, if you didn't have Denzel Washington or Will Smith, then you're really not gonna (laughs) profit basically. And then when he was announced, I think this was back in 2014 as Black Panther, I was like, King T'Challa, I was like, okay, they got something right here because this dude can really act. And then Black Panther came out. Mm -hmm. A cultural phenomenon in pop culture. And the fact that young kids can grow up and see, hey, this dude looks just like me. You know, they have their own Black superhero and, of course, female superheroes in that movie. I find that very inspiring, you know. Because, you know, when I was growing up, and of course all of us were growing up, we were, you know, watching Spider-Man and Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all these characters who didn't look like us, you know. Now, in 20, I think it was 2018, the next generation, they could be like, man, when I was growing up, I was growing up with Black Panther and, you know, that event that happened. And the fact that he was hiding it, hiding his secret for four years and the fact that he was helping other kids, you know, um, fight their battles with cancer. I just find that truly, you know, inspiring. And like me personally, I hope to be on, like, I, he's the type of guy who I aim, aspire to be one day, like that very influential and inspiring figure in not only black community, but in entertainment. And the lasting impact that he had on people was amazing, you know. Exactly. But I first saw him in 42 as well. And I saw him in Black Panther. And I used to read the comics as well. Yeah. So seeing him on the big screen and everything was just awe-inspiring. Absolutely. And it was very sad when he died because, like, he's pretty much a legend to me at least so and he was also relatively young too he was about what 43 which yeah. i know to some people they'd be like oh jordan this this man oh nah 40 is pretty young kobe was 41 mm-hmm. i think when he passed away r.i.p to them both and 
when the news found out that he passed away, a lot of people were automatically jumping on the board of, okay, what are they going to do with Black Panther 2? What are they going to do with Black Panther 3? I'm like, can y'all just, like, forget that, like, leave that to the side real quick and just, you know, mourn the fact that this man lost, well, passed away, lost his life to cancer. And the fact that cancer is still a a dominant force in tearing many people apart, even with COVID-19. Eating cause of death. Absolutely. Even with COVID-19 still ravaging the planet, you know, you just, you just mourn mourn this man, you know? Yeah. And I I liked what both of you said about, you know, um, really being inspired by seeing such um, a strong male black lead in the cinema. Yeah. Because that just goes back into us saying how you need to see yourself. You need to see mm-hmm. some sort of version of yourself on the big screen, I guess, or just in entertainment in general. So the very fact that you guys just reaffirmed that is pretty amazing. And, you know, Twitter did and Instagram, like all the hashtags and stuff. So yeah. like you said, I think he was like a very big force um, on the last leg of this decade. I mean, even throughout the past decade. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that James Brown movie, 42, and just a lot of the other little things he did. He, yeah. he inspired also, somebody and he made someone feel better in their own skin. Absolutely. And he also starred in other films such as, I believe, the last film that he was in. Of course, he has like more projects he was working on. But the last film he did was Defy Bloods from Spike Lee. And you can just tell that this man was just like a train, like like I've said, a force to be reckoned with, you know. Like, I feel like he could go toe-to-toe with a Denzel Washington in a movie. And even most recently, I watched, like, a short film that he did. It was really, like, a critical thinking instructional video that he did. It was called Love is a Fallacy. And this is back from, like, 2013 or whatever. And you can just tell that this man had the potential. Like, his potential was, like, so, like, off the charts. And you just interested in seeing, you know, what is this dude going to do next? And I really admire him for that. R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. Alright, and our next topic is actually inclusivity on television. So, when was y'all's first time seeing yourself on television? Um, well, I first saw what I aspired to be on te- television with the black sitcom called Living Single. You know, every single last woman in that TV show, I saw that could have been a version of myself, and I like to write. So it was awesome that Queen Latifah played the um, character that owned her own journal and newspaper. So that was one of the first times that I saw what could have been a version of me on television, a positive version of me. I would say the first time I saw myself on your know, TV in a positive light would be the TV show, The Proud Family, with Penny's dad, uh, Oscar. And I was thinking to myself, okay, this dude, he has a beautiful wife, three kids, you know, his, his mom is kind of crazy. And it's just like, this feels genuine. It feels not violent. They're not taking place in the hood. Cause there are other shows I grew up with, like the boondocks that kind of gave you the a real life portrayal, even though it was more, um, how can I say this, fantastical, a real life portrayal in the black experience. So yeah, I would say the proud family, and it just made me feel good to be black. The proud family was mine too. 
and I absolutely love spinning proud. Like I want it to be here and everything. Um, I think it's good to see a positive re- representation of ourselves within the media. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. important. What no, I was about to say it's very important. What are you about to say? Yeah. Um, I was saying, especially um, growing up, when were you guys first introduced to a queer characters or characters that didn't fall in line with the normal, the normative sexual representation? I would say when I was, I believe, I believe I was like 13 when I first, you know, experienced that type of character. I don't know what show was. No, I think it was Modern Family. I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. The ABC show. Yeah. yeah. The ABC show, Modern Family. I think yeah, mine was Good Luck Charlie. When yeah, they actually yeah. had so, the gay parents on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine was Will and Grace. And as I got older, well, one of the characters, a couple of the characters on that go were like, um, show were like gay and bisexual. But as I grew older, I, I started to realize that tokenism, especially like, especially like in the black community and media, but mm-hmm. tokenism and like for the queer community is like very rampant. You see the same um, reiteration of like the flamboyant gay character, yeah. or, like you know different reiterations of like the lesbian, like the typical lesbian. So just yeah. how we're trying to, for me personally, um, I think I think we need proper representation, not even representation. We need to normalize being queer in media and just mm-hmm. not having these archetypal characters. I know a lot of people exactly. don't feel that way. But, you know, do you guys see what I'm saying? Yes. I see what you're saying. Because yeah. even it goes back to, sorry, Kristen, goes back to tokenism. Like, in horror movies, we got the token black guy, the, you know, the blonde white chick that loves partying and drinking and all that. Every horror movie, in my opinion, copies, like, a similar formula, you know? Yeah. What are you about to say, Kristen? But I see what you're saying. We need to stop playing off of stereotypes and actually portray real people and real personalities. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just something that I hope to see kind of change over the next five years and like um, with entertainment, I guess, because just everyone, I guess everyone doesn't necessarily deserve a slice of the pie, but we need to build integrous characters on TV. We can't, we have to stop allowing people to like fall in the mix of and crannies of like the typical, like the typical yeah. character. We have to build characters, not yeah. just like keep recycling the same thing over and over again, because that's just what people are going to expect like that version of a person to be like. Like some people are first introduced to black culture through media. I mean, that's what a lot of people are first introduced to different forms of culture is through media. So that's where a lot of people's, you know, uh, indifferences with the black community could have first derived from. That's where a lot of people's expectations of black people are going to derive from. So I think how we're doing this, um, what we're pushing for in the black community also needs to be an LGBTQ fight as well for proper representation. Definitely. I think I think in the next five years, entertainment is going to really, I feel is going to really evolve more than how it was like 20 years ago in the past. I don't, I don't feel like we're going to be getting those token characters in a lot of our TV shows. Because even when it comes to like, I would say black women, like if, it, if you're a black girl, you're either the best friend of or the main character who will most likely be white. And quirky side character. 
yeah, the sidekick, you know, give them advice and all of that. The, yeah, the, the mammy, basically. Basically, yeah, the, or the yeah. magical, mystical Negro in any horror yeah. movie. You know, I don't, I don't feel those tropes. I feel like those tropes are not going to exist. I don't, I, I'm not going to say exist. They're not going to be as prevalent as they were back in those, back in the day, basically. Yeah, and that just comes with um, a new legion of writers. I guess especially, you know, we were every, the whole Tyler Perry thing happened, and we realized what goes wrong when we don't incorporate, um, you know, a variety of writers in the writing room, the boardroom. That's why it's so important to have people from different backgrounds and like all these institutions because it gives you a new, it gives you a new face, it gives you a new perspective on things rather than just, you know recycling the same tire old version of a black woman over and right. over again or a gay he, character he, a queer character yeah because I, I think on instagram he posted a video tyler perry where he writes all of his scripts he doesn't hire writers he doesn't do none of that and he said work ethic he was trying to brag being like work at work ethic even though i admire what he was doing because like when he opened that studio and like Oprah, Beyonce, Jay-Z, all of them came down. I was like, okay, that's great. That's great that he does that. But then again, saying that you write your own stuff, even though a lot of his subject matter is very recycled, like Ashanti said, has those very stereotypical depictions of Black people, I was like, dude, you kind of need more help. You need more help. Like, not kind of, you really do. You need more new writers. And to give you a fresh look on the Black experience instead of the stuff that you were grown up with 20, 30, 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, as, like, the next generation of writers and creatives come in, uh, obviously things are going to evolve, you know, obviously. But, like I said before, we kind of have to champion for, you know, for for these new spaces, I guess, and for proper representation. Right. And our next topic is actually political correctness. Do you believe it's wrong or right? I believe political correctness can be extreme to some extent, but I believe that it's very necessary. Um, and sometimes, you know, political correctness can be defined as using language that is mindful to people that are marginalized. You know, yeah. just being aware of the fact that there are certain things in language and, you know, just microaggressions that it's just unfair to use around these people. So um, people make fun of being politically correct all the time because I believe that having a safe space is just really, meaning a safe space is just really childish, I guess. But yeah. it just goes back into the, ins- these institutions have been built to be racist, have been built to be sexist. So when we as a society mm-hmm. try and incorporate fairness, I think it's healthy for all of us. But to an extent, it's, it's toxic sometimes. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I agree with Ashanti, but everything that she said, because yeah, these institutions, this society was built on racism, and I do agree with the childish sexism and sex, yes, yeah, sexist, all of that. I agree with you saying it is childish because when we try to break those barriers, when we try to you know uh, kind of destroy the stereotype of you know what black men do what black women do women in general we we also we're always kind of characterizes oh this dude is like anti such and such and uh, feminists and 
all that. And it's just like, no, we're just trying to inform you on something, but still, you know, let's be unified and work together to make a difference. When we're in a society where labels mean so much, I guess you have to destroy. We work hard to destroy the ones that keep people inside of a box. So I personally think, you know, political correctness in real life is very healthy because it it spawns conversations and groups of friends about why what a person said was wrong. But when we're talking about political correctness and, you know, in the realm of the Internet, people are off the chain these days. And I feel like we're we're trying to edu- re-educate people, but at the same time, people are pushed away from the fact because it's so it's so obliterating sometimes. It's just like you say one wrong thing, and here comes cancel culture. You're shut the fuck down. Absolutely. But in the realm of, like, of local communities, yes, it's healthy. It's very healthy. It's necessary. Yeah. I, I like how you brought up cancel culture because anytime somebody says something that's out of pocket to everyone else is like, oh, we got to cancel that person. Screw this person. You know, their career can go burn in hell. Exactly. Their career could go burn in hell. We not doing, we not messing with them no more. It's just stupid to me. Yeah. Because I think also another problem. Oh, I think also another problem with that is that we don't educate people and expect them to know these things. Yeah. I mean, mind you, if the person is um, is usually well-versed in politics or something, they should kind of know these things. However, if they're not a part of the, a community that usually talks about these things, they're not going to know about these things, so you have to educate them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that goes into like some, how sometimes there is a cultural lack of what we see on TV and what actually mm-hmm. happens in real life. Because like I said, people are educated through forms of media. We, we talk about this in every single podcast, but it's like a really big issue. So I feel like the miseducation that happens um, from when you consume this media and see all the stereotypes, it, it's political correctness is there as like um, a form of re-teaching. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, as like media evolves and we get all these new people with these new ideas and, you know, see how they incorporate diversity and things, I feel like political correctness is going to slowly not be as necessary, but I feel like it should be a, sta- a staple in every culture, you know? Absolutely. Staple, but it can be very, it can be very toxic sometimes, especially with like cancel culture, and especially with not not fixing the miseducation, but just like beating the person up for not understanding. You have to understand people exist in boxes sometimes. People exist in boxes sometimes. If you come from a certain family, from a certain area, and you believe in certain things, like we're very stuck on labels, and people fall into those labels like that. They literally practice it. It's a doctrine. They're indoctrinated to being like. Um, conservative they're indoctrinated to like like think that way about people that are queer so i feel like political correctness can be healthy but you you have to educate people properly too you can't just be like you should have never fucking said that and like go off on twitter like you have to educate like what are you doing that's not gonna do anything a screenshot isn't gonna do anything exactly true people man yeah 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 but um do you guys believe um, in a political lens? Political correctness is necessary. Hmm. I don't. Per- I don't really think so. 
I, I and I can't really explain it. I feel like we got to explain this a little bit more in future episodes because I think I think we're running out of time right now. But in oh. other words, in other words, I think political correctness should exist. I don't know why the fuck I just said that other shit, but like inform people that yeah, what you're saying very stupid. But let me inform you to make a less dumbass decision, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you guys ever, um, have you guys ever been saved by political correctness, like at school or anything, or, or saved by someone stepping in and explaining why what another student or teacher said to you was wrong? Not really. A lot Not of really? uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of kids that went to my school was just a bunch of dumbasses. So it was it was whatever. <laughs> Usually, I had to advocate for myself in those situations. Yeah, I know. I know personally, growing up, growing up in like um, predominantly white area. Whenever I would go to like my friends' houses, there would just be like other family members there that would say something that was just very like off par. Like you shouldn't be saying that. So a lot of the time, like the, the person's mom will step in and be like, well, you can't say that Ashanti's hair is like this and this because that's how you know she chooses to wear her hair. Just because you don't wear your hair like that doesn't mean you should say something. Mm-hmm. Or like like with the clothes I wear sometimes, that just must be a generational thing, you know? It, it got but it. You, you, like especially political correctness is especially necessary in informing people about like, you know, um, how people present their sexuality and present, I don't want to call it promiscuous, but how people choose to present themselves. So I feel like sometimes there's a lot of deep-rooted slut-shaming in um, American culture. Mm-hmm. So I feel like whenever we have conversations about why you can't just throw the word, like just stamp, like slut-shame people or like stamp them with the word slut because people choose to present themselves in different ways. And sometimes um, it can be, like this is definitely something we have to talk about later. Yeah. I was about to go off and like talk a novel on the screen. Uh, no. Yeah, go off, go off on your own next episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Any final thoughts, my friends? Um. Mm-mm. You chose some good co- um, topics, Kristen. Yep. Thank you. Kristen, you did a great job. Any final thoughts from you? No. No. All right, y'all. That wraps up our third episode of the 1025 Podcast. I'm Jordan, along with Ashanti and Kristen, and we will see you next time. Peace. Bye. Bye.